Bill and Bob's bracket busting bonanza. I'm Bob. I'm here with Bill. Hey, Bob. Finally, we get to my favorite region. The Midwest, uh, still in Indianapolis. Yes, still in Indianapolis, but Midwest Indianapolis. A little bit more residential, a little bit homey. Uh, there's a guy, an old man with a mustache in the top part of uh, mid this Midwest area of Indianapolis, and he's causing a ruckus. Yeah, a lot of a lot of um, a lot of actually uh, uh, drinkologists and other um, uh, interesting, quirky little things in this neighborhood, uh, fitting right along with the wonderful teams that we see in this region. This is by far to me the the most fun region to watch and in the first couple of weeks of the tournament, which we'll talk about now. And it should be the most fun to watch going forward as we'll we'll discuss later. Um uh Top Pod. Uh we had Illinois. Uh they looked like they were gonna run their way uh from the Drexel game all the way to the final four. Um and then they Loyola Chicago uh and Krutwig, um, with his the only thing that was missing was maybe a red, white, and blue headband and two oversized knee braces. Otherwise, you'd find him at your local YMCA. Um, but a very diverse game from him um, in how he scores. Uh, and Loyola Chicago has is now in the Sweet 16 from the top half of this uh, pod here. Yeah. So a couple things about this bracket. Um, obviously, we li- I liked Illinois. I, I said I think. I think they're probably going to get out of the round of 32, but I I also did mention that Illinois that um, Loyola is completely capable of giving Illinois uh, all it can handle and more. And I think I you know and I've I've been a big proponent of Loyola. I picked them there, and I I thought that they were improperly seeded as an eight seed because as a team they've had one loss since January and have played the part of of really a team that's probably should be a two or a three seed with as good as they played. Um, you look at the advanced metrics on them, uh, defensively, they're the best defensive team in the country, almost any way you want to shake it out. Um, they're experienced. They don't really make a lot of mistakes. And the, the other thing that I had mentioned in that pod was they have Cameron Krupwick, who is, you know, he doesn't look like the guy who's going to, to be, you know, heralded as, as a, uh, one of the players to remember in the tournament, um, kind of a lumbering uh, left-handed big man, but man, is he efficient and an excellent passer, can do things out of the post, a wonderful rebounder, has got very, very nifty and nice moves inside. Um, I, the, the thing that, that was crazy about the Illinois game that I think is different than a lot of the other upsets that we saw, like Oral Roberts, Ohio State, let's say, or um, or even the the Purdue game, I thought Illinois. I thought Loyola was a better team than Illinois was. Like I think if they played that game ten times, Loyola would win six times because I just think th- 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 there was nothing Illinois could do to to um, put Loyola in a position they didn't want to be in. Illinois, as as good as they were, and they were the second best team in college basketball for the second half of the season. Uh, after Gonzaga, as good as Illinois was and is, they never got that lead. Uh, the Loyola jumped out to an early lead, kind of got Illinois on their heels. They never got that lead inside six points in the second half. 
It was incredible to me. They kept going. They kept getting it to oh six seven, and then Loyola would respond with a with a buck right back. Every three that Illinois hit, Loyola would come could come back and score. They couldn't get Loyola to realize that they shouldn't be winning this game. That and that was like the big thing to me. It's like Loyola as a team, you could tell like they they just they they didn't feel like they were playing the one seed or or outclassed. They thought that they absolutely belong there, and to me, it showed. And I honestly think that that they are the um, they are they were a better team than. Illinois in that particular matchup. And if you replayed the matchup, I still think the same thing. Um, and going forward, I think that they are the best team left in this bracket. In this yeah, uh, region. They, they, yeah, I think they now, although seed-wise it, it is not this case, not the case, but they are definitely the favorite. To, they have to be the favorite to get out of this region. If you've been watching them play any of the, any of the games, I mean, there was, you know, People were talking about Georgia Tech giving them a game. Loyola Chicago handled the and, handled and them easily. And this is a Georgia Tech team, mind you, that won the ACC tournament. We're uh-huh. not talking about like a, a, a bad team. They beat the ACC champ, and then they beat the Big Ten champ in back-to-back games. Oh yeah, they've earned it. And and you said just in describing Cameron Crutwig about you know his appearance. You're, the guy that you would think is the one who we'd be talking about in this region is the mountain of a man and just one of the strongest players in college basketball is Kofi Kofi Coyburn, who had a nice game against Loyola Chicago. But when you're when you're down like you are against Loyola Chicago, and actually this is something that we had, I te- texted you about at halftime, you you can't you have to speed up the tempo, but every time Loyola Chicago came down, they just ran their offense. Yeah. And tempo-wise, they just took away the amount of possession. They took away any possibility of extra possessions in the game. Their tempo, I'm looking at it right now. So their number, um, their Ken Palm uh, tempo number is 342 out of 357. They are one of the slowest-paced teams in the country. And it doesn't matter because they just they come down, they run their offense. And then when... When their guards to not take anything away from Kretwig, but when when they get your defense moving with with um, just like crisp pass crisp passing, their guards will then just get in and penetrate. Even though they're less athletic than uh, Dosimonu, Frazier, Miller, uh, Corbello, all the Illinois guards, Illinois um, Loyola Chicago would get into the soft spot at the foul line and they just start hitting elbow jumpers. Yeah, it's a- and even when they didn't. And even when they didn't want the elbow jumper, they would just lob one to Crutwig, and Crutwig would just throw a hand up and flip it into the hoop like he was a like he was a dolphin at, at a at a sideshow. It was Crutwig. I was just like, they're not lobbing it to this guy, are they? And then his arm just comes up at the last second and just tips it in. Yeah. I mean, it just it, they're just an incredible basketball team to watch. It was frustrating from a standpoint of if you if you had Illinois, your bracket was completely busted. But Loyola Chicago just they play they play slow. But they play their game and they work so hard defensively that you are going to earn every point you get against them. Yeah. So two things. One, offensively for Loyola Chicago, it's very difficult for teams to play defense for 30 seconds. And that's the thing about having patience on offense. Loyola Chicago has the patience that they're not going to to take a – good shot if they think they're going to get a great shot in a couple of seconds and that's what they ended up doing so if you if you watch that game I, the, the pace of the, the the pace of play was just so obvious every single possess, offensive possession for Loyola Chicago was 25 seconds plus 
it, like they, they took their time and then they got the shot they wanted, usually in the last five seconds of the shot clock. And it wasn't like a forced, oh, the clock's running down on us. It was, it's tough to play defense for 30 seconds when you're not used to doing it, especially. Um, and then defensively, Illinois couldn't get quick shots up. They, they did an excellent job of making, which is not surprising, they're the best defensive team in the country by any uh, uh, metric. They they made Illinois play way longer in the shot clock than they're comfortable playing on offense. And Illinois would uh, got into the habit of forcing some shots that they wouldn't want to force and they wouldn't want to take. They had no issue with Coburn getting his points because if Coburn's the one who's their leading scorer, that means the game is being played at Illinois Chicago at uh, Loyola Chicago's pace. And uh, and that's hundred- that's really what it came down to. Yeah, 100%. And and you saw it where there uh, I mean Frazier who's the shooting guard just I mean he just he he just could did not shoot the ball well um for Illinois. Um no one really did other than and Coyburn um and and a guy who you thought they would go to more, he only had four shots in the first half was Dusamunu. It's as if Underwood did not have an answer of what to do. It's as if he didn't know what he was facing in Loyola Chicago and Porter Moser, the coach from Illinois, uh, Illinois, um, sorry, Loyola Chicago, completely outcoached uh, Illinois coach Brad Underwood, and there has to just be, if as a fan of Illinois, you just, the frustration has to be there of just losing to an, a fellow in-state team, despite as good as they are, Loyola Chicago, you're losing to a team in-state that you probably try to avoid in the non-conference of scheduling games like that where you don't want to lose an in-state game and you just got embarrassed in the NCAA tournament and there's no other way to put it they were embarrassed yeah I mean it it really like the the final score doesn't really tell you that that this game never really got to a point where never close where you you felt like Loyola Chicago was was gonna was was you know okay the the ship's gonna gonna write itself and and this game's gonna get closer and whether Illinois wins or not because they have to make a comeback we'll see but they're definitely gonna tighten the the lead it just never happened like Loyola is just so was just shockingly disciplined they weren't just, there was nothing that Illinois was going to do that was going to take Loyola out of what Loyola wanted to do. Yeah, just uh, just they they ha- had the lead early and they never gave it up and it never looked like they were going to give it up. Um, we looked to the pod below it, um, a team that we were very critical of uh, coming in. Uh, Tennessee, they lost to Oregon State. Oregon State, I think, almost led wire to wire at least um, well 30-plus minutes against them. Yeah, they had a 20-point lead in the second half. I mean, tennis, the, the final score of that game is not as close as it was. I mean, you're talking about a game that was 22 points. Tennessee made a little run late to get it to 10 or 12. But by then, you know, the ship had sailed. And then in the game below it, uh, you had Oklahoma State against Liberty, an upset that some people were looking for. It didn't happen. Um, Oklahoma State obviously eventually bowed out uh, to Oregon State. Um, Just... We should touch on it for a second. Cade Cunningham didn't really have the tournament everybody thought he was going to have. He didn't shoot the ball all that well um, and didn't really do a whole lot through two games. Um, And I think what was exposed was Oklahoma State didn't really have too much else besides him. No, I I agree with you. I think, um, you know, it's a lot to put on a freshman. He, He really didn't play that well in either of the games. Oklahoma State didn't really play well in their first game either against Liberty. Um, Yeah. 
they kind of survived that that one. Um, I think if you look at, at the way that they played in the second round, it, it was just a case of a freshman in the NCAA tournament. Kind of, uh, There was a little bit of a deer in the headlights thing that I saw going on with that team, um, which after the way they played in the Big 12 is a little bit surprising um, in the Big 12 tournament. But, you know, again, maybe that's just credit to the Pac-12. Yeah, it, it makes you wonder if if it just really was the Pac-12 was um, an underrated conference in in that regard that they were just better than I think people expected. And I know just to let's not forget, Kate Cunningham did have twenty four points against Oregon State, but eight of eight 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 of those at the line. But it just it didn't feel like he was he impacting that he game. He didn't take over the, the game at any point in time. Exactly. There, at no point in time during that game did I say this guy is the best player on the floor. A hundred percent right. A hundred percent right there. Um, we look to the below it. Um, uh, the defensive struggle that I thought that people thought we were going to get against Syracuse against San Diego State. It didn't happen. Syracuse just completely throttled uh, the shooting of, of San Diego State. Yeah, uh, that one I actually did predict. I, I thought uh, mm-hmm. yes. I looked at the, the numbers and it, it's it's. I hate to just continue harping on it, but the 2-3 zone, the, the matchup zone in uh, the tournament for teams that have not seen it is is just a deadly thing. Um, if, you, if you don't have – if you have a – if you're a mediocre three-point shooting team, it's really the worst thing because you fall in love with the threes early and they give you 22, 23-foot threes, but they don't fall at the end of games. And if you, you know, unless you have a guy and they, it, in watching these games, it was frankly quite obvious it was the big gap, in, the big hole that West Virginia had, but San, but San Diego State, same thing. If you don't have a guy who can, who can um, play at the high post and be a threat from 15 to 17 feet, you're in some serious trouble against against Syracuse, and let's let's not sell short the, also the way that Syracuse shot the ball. Um, Bayheim and um, uh, the uh, the other kid what is it um, Bernard or um, the, yeah you had the kid well, from Ger- Glen Gerard Falls. Gerard yeah Gerard um, from Glen Falls uh, New York. Uh, I mean they're both lights out shooters. Bayheim in particular though. I mean going around screens. He, you know, he, he looks like he has a like a pro game from a, a shooting perspective. Uh, yeah, Buddy Bayheim in particular, um, seven seven of ten uh, from three in that game against San Diego State. Uh, San Diego State, who had three shooters who were thirty six percent and uh, and above, two of them being over forty percent on the year, only hit eleven threes. So Buddy Bayheim almost matched him by himself for less threes uh, than San Diego State. Yeah, and, and in Syracuse's other game, um, a little bit more of a thriller, although Syracuse um, really was in control um, throughout. Uh, Beheim cools off a little bit. Uh, Gerard, as you mentioned, he steps up. He goes four of eight from three. Beheim cooled off in the first half, but Beheim hit some massive threes in the second half. It was actually great watching a little back and forth. Uh, uh, the um, uh, I forget, His name's uh, escaping me right now, but the little white card on uh, – West Virginia and Bayheim going McNeil. back to McNeil. Thank you. Going back and forth, hitting twenty-six foot uh, threes. It was. Yes. I mean, the two of them were absolutely gunning in the second half. Bayheim, uh, you know, played a really good second half. He, I think he had seventeen or something in the second half. Is that right? And and 
Um, I don't have the half breakdown. I just have his the his complete game numbers. What but, do you have for the game, Bayon? Um, he he finished with twenty five. He was responsible for. Yeah. He was played a part in thirty percent of Syracuse's seventy five points. Yeah, I mean, they played great, and, you know, they, and their defense looked absolutely suffocating. So it was it was actually was impressive gonna... to me that West Virginia was even able to get back into the game. They they came what... all the way back, took a one point lead for like thirty seconds, and then Syracuse. Yeah, as far as uh, the numbers on on West Virginia, it's surprising because we've we spent so much time talking about the Syracuse zone and, and the three point numbers. West Virginia's three point point numbers weren't that bad. They shot forty two percent from three, but they only shot thirty four percent from two against Syracuse. So Syracuse really just made them. Um, you know, earn it from the field. But McNeil, um, obviously just worth uh, noting with him. He finished with 23, goes seven of 13 from three. Um, and was, yeah, like you said, trading, trading three point buckets with buddy Bayheim. but Bayheim finished six of 13, uh, but obviously uh, two points better at 25%, uh, 25 points for the game. Um, and then the games below it, we had, uh, Clemson against Rutgers, um, another rock fight, which is complete up. It, it actually it's funny because it mirrors the Yukon Maryland game on the um on a bracket, but just a rock fight there. Um Rutgers gets their first tournament win in God knows how many years. Um it's gotta make St. John's fans uh a little angry that Rutgers gets a win in the round of sixty four. Um and St. John's obviously just uh, can't get those wins outside of the uh, the play-in game. And then on the bottom half, um, Houston goes over Cleveland State. And then Houston-Rutgers, um, a game that I think a lot of people just thought Houston was going to come in. Houston has a reputation for just completely running over bad teams. And Houston didn't do it here and really needed a late miracle with Rutgers not knowing how to finish a game. Um, but this was for a 63-60 final. It really was one of the games of the tournament um, just in kind of the late game drama because Rutgers hit a couple, but then they, they just really seemed uh, – they just didn't – just seemed less inclined to close the game, and and Houston um, really was just ran through with this very small opening that was there for them. Uh, yeah, so I was very impressed with Rutgers' defense. I thought they played really well defensively. Yes, man, did they give this game away? That, I mm-hmm. mean, there's no reason that they should uh, that that we should be even talking about Houston right now in this tournament. It should be we should be talking about Rutgers uh, being a, a darling in in the Sweet Sixteen. And I and I'm very happy to not be talking about Rutgers as a darling in this tournament as a Seton Hall grad, uh, having not had the opportunity to talk all about Seton Hall's team last year. So I didn't want to talk about Rutgers being a darling in the NCAA tournament. Um, so for the season, Rutgers uh, and you have to you know I don't have the Ken Palm numbers in front of me, which probably do a better job of adjusting it. But Rutgers gave up 66 points a game um, defensively. You have to remember um, they're playing in the Big Ten. So the you know they're good. The teams they're going against are, are exceptional offensive teams in Michigan, uh, Illinois, um, Ohio State, and others. So they gave up about sixty six points a game. Now the second best defensive team in college basketball um, by the metric of of how much uh, points they give up per game team opponent points per game is actually the Houston Cougars. So Houston gives up an average of, of 58 and change a game. So that was kind of right on to where Houston is. Houston's the kind of team where if they can score more than 60 points, they're usually going to win games unless they play a team that has a, a sort of a similar style. 
Um, Houston showed me a lot of weaknesses. I, honestly, I think they're going yes. to have a disastrous time against um, Syracuse in the uh, in the Sweet 16. Uh, Quentin Grimes is is their number one guy, and he is actually a, an excellent three point shooter and a really good scorer. But there is such a drop off after Quentin Grimes from an offensive uh, perspective that you understand that they must be a good defensive team because otherwise, I, I don't see any possible way they could have. Uh, played their way into a, a two seed. I watched them a couple times earlier this year against VCU and a few other teams, and I, I thought that they were they played very well, and I, I was impressed with them. I had them losing to uh, West Virginia in this round because I didn't really give uh, Rutgers or Maryland a lot of credit, and I still have Same. them losing in the Sweet 16. Um, they may be the number two uh, seed, but I, I really, truth be told, honestly look at them as the third or fourth best team in this region. Yeah, so um, just one last thing on Rutgers, top fifteen team uh, defensively, okay. and I think uh, that makes sense. And I think they're like eighty something in points per game, but you got to remember they're they're going against uh, much better offensive teams. Yeah, the, I mean that's where Ken Palm with the adjusted yeah. defenses offensive numbers is a is a cool thing to look at. But yeah, they were they're fifteenth defensively on Ken Palm. Um, and I and I had mentioned it where I thought Miles Johnson could be um, a factor as as a big man in the middle. And Houston, you know, lacking that size, um, I think that's going to be their their issue going forward. Um, you you know, beyond Quentin Grimes, um, Dejan Giroux um, is is the guy offensively um, now. I'm looking to see exactly. He finished. He played 32 minutes, finished with 17 points, 26% of Houston's points, but he's he's banged up. Um, at some point, you know, took had to take a take a leave from the game against um, Rutgers because he he I don't, I don't, took a hip check, but he landed on the floor. I didn't see exactly where he landed. Yeah, but he had to go out. And he and couldn't. He's, he's he the couldn't guy. Move. Like I mean, he, he got back into the game he, and he he was a a distraction. He actually did end up uh, drawing a foul. I think he missed the free throw, but um, but like he couldn't he couldn't move. So unless his yeah. hip improves over the next you know couple days. Um, yeah, I, think I don't even Houston, know how he's going to play in the next game. He looked it, like it was one of those things where, like, credit to him, it was like a, a, a you know, inspiring to see him going out there when he was obviously not one hundred percent. But he, man, he was obviously not one hundred percent. Oh yeah, and as a secondary scorer, um, if he is, you know, a, a shell of who he is, um, you know, you have to wonder what Houston's chances are going forward. From a height standpoint, we had touched on him in the preview pods about Justin Gorham really being the only big man for um, for Houston, and now they go against a Syracuse team. And as much as we've talked about Buddy Beheim, uh, we mentioned Gerard shooting the ball well. Um, Dolage has actually played very well for Syracuse as well at 610 um and I, I just think that they're they're just gonna have some matchup problems against not only the zone Houston wants to play slow which is fine um, but if they get down early you really have to wonder if they're going to be able to come back because Syracuse is gonna I said it on the in the in the preview pods the funny thing about this Syracuse team is is actually their offensive numbers rank significantly higher than their defensive numbers this year. They're they're de- they're a very good offensive team with Bayheim, Griffin, Gerard, Dolage. This team can score the basketball, and Houston will not be able to do the same thing they did against Rutgers if they get down early. They're they're not going to be yeah, able to come that's back. That's an absolutely worst case scenario disaster if they go down early to Syracuse because it also plays into the fact that that 
you know, they're against this matchup zone they don't often see. They're going to start forcing shots, and that's exactly what Syracuse wants you to do. Um, I, I think this is actually going to be a little bit closer game just because I think Houston's good enough defensively that they're going to give um, Bayheim and uh, and um, Gerard some problems because they're going to be covering them hard, like 30-plus feet out. Um that said, I, I still like Syracuse in this game. I think Syracuse can draw a couple fouls early. And again, if Syracuse gets out to a lead, I, I mean, I think it's ball game. Yeah, I 100% agree. I think just Syracuse, um, they're, it's, they're, you would expect their shooting to come down a little bit in this game um, and come back down to earth, especially against a good defensive team against Houston. And I think it will. But uh, Yeah. But I don't think it's a matter of water finding its level and Syracuse just going out because they're the 11th seed against a two. I think the the zone against Houston, I think, is going to really, really be a problem. If, if Syracuse can clean up on the boards and keep Houston to one, one and done every possession down, um, I, I think it's just going to be a very tough game. And, and as slow as the... You just can't let Syracuse get out to a big lead because they will not come back. Yeah. They're not going to come back. The thing um, that Syracuse the top half- gave up in the West Virginia game was offensive rebounds. West Virginia yes. had a had like 15 or 16 offensive rebounds, a lot of offensive rebounds. But but West Virginia, we said before the tournament, that West Virginia is an excellent rebounding team. So that, that was not a, a terribly shocking thing to say. Houston is not quite as good a rebounding team. Um, I think Syracuse can shoot 30% from three and still win this game. But also worth mentioning with Syracuse is for a team that sits in his own, they actually don't rebound the ball that well at all. Um, so it's, it's kind of a little from column A, a little from column B with, with West, West Virginia getting so many offensive rebounds. Syracuse does give up um, a, a number of offensive rebounds. But does Houston have the size to take advantage of it? I don't think they do. Yeah. Um, yeah, so top half, um, we already kind of – raved early about Loyola Chicago. They'll play Oregon State. Um, you know, and I just, I think to continue to put the emphasis on it here, whether we should change this to the defensive region or not, it, it really is going to take a, a perfect game, I think, to beat Loyola Chicago. They're a team that I think we've learned is not going to beat themselves. Um, and defensively, they are going to always hang in ball games just because their defense is, is every bit... Um, as advertised as the, as the top defensive team in the country. Yeah. So here's here's one thing that that um, to at least look at. Oregon State will probably be the biggest team that um, Loyola Chicago has faced this year. Um, Oregon State has uh, a lot of size inside. Now, that doesn't necessarily translate to the rebounds and uh, and blocks and – uh, points that you'd you'd necessarily want to see, but they can throw a lot of bodies at uh, Crutwig. So we'll see what happens as far as that's concerned. They've got Roman Silva is a uh, center for them who's seven feet. Uh, Maurice Kalu is six nine. Jared Lucas is six nine. Jared Lucas is their best big man. He's uh, averaging thirteen. Uh, or I'm sorry, not Jared Lucas. Uh, Alatish is their best big man. He's averaging uh, nine and uh, eight and a half rebounds a game. So I think he's he's uh, going to be a big factor if if Oregon State has any chance of winning this game. But like I said, they're not Oregon State's not a great offensive team. They they're you look at their three point shooting percentages. They don't really they don't have anybody who's uh, um, who gets a lot of playing time. Who's a forty percent. 
uh, three-point shooter. Kalu is a 40% three-point shooter. He's averaging 15 minutes a game. Uh, I, I think, um, you know, Ethan Thompson is their guard, their leading scorer. But we've seen Loyola bottle up better guards for Illinois. So uh, it's not it's not the guard play of uh, that would worry me for Oregon State or really any other team for that matter because Illinois, I think, I probably have the best backcourt in the country. Um it, the only the advantage that Oregon State has is they do have more size than uh, Loyola does. Yeah, Loyola, um, I had mentioned earlier, so their tempo number um, at 342, so it's going to be a real grind them out, um, you know, 30, um, 30, 30 second possessions when they have the ball. Oregon State actually at, um, I'm pulling it back up here, they're at, I think it's, let's see, 303 out of uh, I think it's whatever it is I think 357 division one team so they're going to play slow as well and you know it just at that point it really comes down to you know you have to make your shots because as we saw against Illinois uh, against Illinois Illinois came down they'd get a shot you know it's one thing you don't get an offensive rebound but when it's going to be 30 to 40 seconds until you get the ball back down your end again, you you know you really have to maximize each and every possession. And Oregon State, I just don't think has a, has the scoring um, to to kind of stay with them. Um, Ethan Thompson obviously has played well throughout the tournament, but just from a, a scoring standpoint, I just I don't see it. I think defensively, um, Illinois is just that good, and Oregon State it's they they're they've had a nice run, but when you look at the numbers and everything like that, it's it's there's not you know they're 41 um, adjusted offense on the year and 69 um, defense adjusted defense on the year, so there's no real standout number. And from the the Pac uh, Pac 12 and the Power Conferences in general, they're the low they were the lowest seed. Um, the lowest seeded team um, going into the tournament. I think Virginia Tech was at 51. Um, Oregon State was Ken Palm 50. So, you know, at sooner or later, I think they're, it's just not, it, it's going to run out for them. And unfortunately, I think it just, the run ends here against, against Loyola Chicago. Yeah. Uh, and for Loyola Chicago, our Yugok, uh, uh, who's a six foot seven inch forward, he's their second big man. Um, he'll probably he'll he'll be a big contributor in this game if if Loyola wins, which is what I'm expecting to see happen. Loyola's guard play is really really good. They've got three guys yes. who can shoot the ball. Uh, Lucas Williamson is is an excellent penetrator as well. He's got he's averaging one and a half steals a game, a shutdown defender, and who has the ability to penetrate and and dish. And then when he's when he's dishing on the outside, he's got Braden Norris and uh, Keith Clemens. Who um, they're a well-balanced scoring team, so both of these guys are averaging around eight points a game, both shooting over forty-one percent from three. Uh, Clemens is actually shooting forty-six percent on the season from three. Um, but they just this is the kind of team that doesn't make a lot of mistakes. Their field goal percentage um, as a team was over fifty percent, which you very rarely see. So that just shows you how how much they value good shots. Um, it it also you know it doesn't hurt to have Crutwig in there as a, a 57% field goal percentage because he's very similar to we we talked about in previous podcasts Dickinson having that old school big man you know he's going to shoot a high percentage shots and and he's going to make a lot of high percentage shots. All right, so I think the question remains uh, the top half of the bracket. Um, I think we're both kind of in agreement here um, that we see Loyola going 
over Oregon State. Is that correct? Yes. Um, and then the bottom half of the bracket, um, I, I, as much as I like Houston here, and I do think that they have, um, as the two seed, I think they have a great road, uh, seemingly great road to go into the Final Four as the, the lowest seed left, and by a lot. Um, I, I, don't, I don't actually see them getting by Syracuse here. Um, and I think you're with me on that as well. Yes, I am, indeed. I, th- I have a uh, Syracuse Loyola uh, Midwest Regional Final. Which I don't know if anybody can honestly say that they had that coming into the tournament, but I think if these two teams meet, it will be a very interesting um, just matchup in, in regards to, um, like I said, you have you have, you have Krutwig and Loyola, uh, Loyola Chicago's defense going against Syracuse in that zone, but Loyola Chicago is... They're so disciplined in their offense and the way they play um, in those grind them out possessions. You have to wonder if how much of an effect the Syracuse zone would have on them. Yeah, that's a good. That's a that's a good point. Um, the so looking forward to this game if it does happen. I've actually spent more time than than I don't know why, but I've spent more time thinking about this matchup, and I actually think Loyola Chicago has the sort of. Um, perfect setup for theoretically figuring out how to beat the zone. Um, and I watched a lot of the West Virginia game. And one of the things that was striking to me was the reason that um, Syracuse is able to get so far out to all of the three point shooters in the zone is that they were perfectly fine leaving Jared Culver from West Virginia at the high post and having him shoot uncontested 16 and 17 footers um he did not both want to take those shots and when he did he didn't make them now the difference is when if that if syracuse were to do that against a team like let's say gonzaga where they run everything through the high post with timmy they would be they would have a very difficult time so i don't think so so it's not like syracuse is this unbeatable team because of the zone it's just the zone presents matchup problems for certain teams and I don't think Loyola is one of those teams. And the reason why is Cameron Krutwig is perfectly capable of both getting the ball at the high post, making the occasional 15-footer. But more than that, he's capable of turning, facing the basket, and making the decisions that he needs to make. Whether it's one dribble and a lefty hook shot, if, they, if they're deciding to, to not double him, or if they go to double him, he has the ability to pass the ball inside and outside. Um, I think running the offense through Krutwig, which is what they do. Krutwig leads, you know, it leads the team in assists as well. He leads the team in points, rebounds, and assists. So, yeah, I I think leading leading the team in every major category and being the senior, having had the experience of playing in the tournament and going all the way to the Final Four, he's not going to be phased by much. And I don't think they're going to be intimidated by the – Two three zone. I think they actually have the the wherewithal and the patience to attack it and not take the bad shots that other teams take. Their their patience on offense against Illinois was very impressive, and I think that's what we're going to see going forward. Yeah, I think that definitely will be um, the factor. I think, and I had said it earlier in the pod, it the tides have turned, and although there's a lower seed left in Houston, I think this becomes um, Loyola Chicago's um, bracket. To, this 
their bracket to lose um, based off of the way they play offense. They're methodical, but they're smart about it. And then on the defensive end, we've they've shown that they can certainly stop a more um, one of the most explosive offenses in the country. So although Bayheim and company are, are playing a good tournament and Bayheim is very capable of going off for 30 some odd points, um, I think the patience and um, defensive abilities of um, Loyola Chicago is going to be too much. And Park and and uh, Porter Moser, for for everything it's worth, has proven that he is one of the best coaches in the country. Yeah, I, I mean, unquestionably one of the best coaches in the country. Um, it'll, it'll be very interesting to see what happens if this game actually does materialize the way we think it will. Um, because... I really do think that, like, it just by coincidence, Loyola has the exact kind of team that can handle the two-three zone without much of an issue. Um, and I think a lot of that means it's, it's because it goes through the high post. Um, yeah. And I, I want to see the adjustments that Syracuse will end up making defensively if Prutwig starts killing them on offense from the high post. Because the thing about the two-three about their zone is they can always collapse it a little bit more, but that means they're going to leave Norris and Clemens and, and Williamson open for, for three point shots. So if that, if that is to happen, then, you know, it's another can of worms. It's like pick your poison to it. Exactly. And, and we also have seen that when Crutwig starts to get down and playing in the low post and on the baseline, um, you know, their guards do such a good job from with their mid range jumpers as well. They're very diverse, um, in, in, in how they run their offense, that there's there's guys who all excel in that soft spot of a 2-3 zone at the free throw line and, and at the elbows. Another thing that I noticed about Loyola Chicago, especially against Illinois, was um, because they don't care about getting out on a fast break and getting transition points, you'll notice all of their guards crash the boards mm-hmm. defensively. They did not allow a lot of offensive rebounds, and you, you see – all five guys, like the, you know, the way the camera would would span, you would see all five guys inside the three point line crashing the boards, trying to get rebounds defensively. They they weren't worried about the guards, you know, starting to release early. The guards' responsibility on defense for Loyola Chicago is not to release early and start getting transition points. It is when the shot goes up, you are crashing the boards. All five guys crashing the boards. So Syracuse is not going to get a lot of second opportunities. So if they, if they're going to win this game, if it does play out, they got to hit Beheim and uh, and Gerard have to have big games. And Williamson's going to, I think, if we'll see who they end up assigning Williamson to because he's their best defender. But if if Williamson ends up on Gerard and let's say they just start throwing other people at at Beheim, I think Williamson could completely take Gerard out of the game or get Gerard because Gerard is is is. Um, is a, is capable of scoring a lot of points, but he also takes some really bad shots, and as does any guy who averages fifty points a game in high school. And like he has no, there's no conscience as to whether he should or shouldn't be shooting some of the shots that he takes. And I think you can get him to take some bad shots. Uh, yeah, I, I, I don't disagree. Uh, d- disagree one bit, um, Bill. Just for the fans on the horizon, um, potentially coming up um, after the Elite Eight games. Um, Potential live pod, at least a live recording in the books uh, ahead of the Final Four for our fans to listen to. All right, rock and roll. Yeah, with a, with a that, potentially with a live studio audience. That yeah, that would be a first for us. Um, so stay tuned to everybody, and for those of you who've listened to the um, 
over the past two weeks with us and uh, through the past uh, four pods that are, are have been coming out here on the, you know, the Sweet 16 pods. Uh, thanks for listening. Uh, Bob, I'm here with Bill. All right, Bob, let's go. We got, we got the nitty-gritty. Yes. Thank you very much. Shout-out to Dave Troyes, who listens to every single one of these podcasts and never gets a shout-out. Yes, yes. Dave, and also, Dave, let's go Yankees. And also um, to – another guy who is excelling in a in a in a pool we're in uh taylor i know you're not pro taylor uh i am i'm, I'm anti-taylor i'm pro taylor and uh taylor this one goes out to you buddy uh hope you continue to win in that uh in the pool you're in right now see you next time everybody see you next time